Let's do it. Welcome back to Behind the Business Curtain. I am your host, Ryan Hansen, and I have the pleasure of talking to Alvin Poe a second time. We've become friends, and I look forward to sharing his story with you about entrepreneurship, selling a company, writing a book, just doing overall awesomeness in the business world. Let's get to it. Alvin Poe, my friend, thank you for joining us in the middle of the night in Singapore. I so much look forward to this conversation. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's it's a pleasure to see you and, and chat with you again. It's, uh, yeah, it's 1 a.m. right now, but I am hyped for this. <laughs> good. I am too. <laughs> um, this whiskey has been going down really well, so we're good. I... We got to know each other. Um, we've been talking on Instagram. And to be completely transparent about my rookie move, the last time we spoke was on an interview, and I botched the file. My computer completely glitched while I was trying to edit it, and I didn't back it up. I lost our entire first interview. So this is not our first rodeo, uh, but for the guests, now you'll know and you have some context context on uh, when I ask weird questions about like, how would you know that? So um, just a brief overview from what I know about you, a thoroughly impressive story about building a company, selling it by age 30 for 30 something million dollars. And yeah, now, age 33, for 30 million dollars which is incredible. Um, so many people out here in the world of marketing and coaching are, they make big claims, they may have small results, but so few and far between do you talk to somebody who actually did it. It's like, okay, so now we've got some some steam behind us, right? Um, then a journey into world traveling, trying new sports, all of it. Let's get to it, man. Where Where were you before you started your online company. Let's let's start there, and then I want to hear about how you built and sold. All right. Uh, like when I was a kid. Yeah. What do you mean like? Yeah. Oh, where, wow. where did you come from? I like this story because it gives hope to anybody that's like, oh, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family and right. all of this. Like, uh, let's go grassroots. Yeah. All right. So, um, my family isn't well to do. Uh, whenever I tell my my like people of my story. You know that I sold the business for thirty million dollars. They automatically assume that I might have like a leg up because of my parents. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe they are rich, or maybe I had like some form of advantage or something. But I wasn't. My family wasn't well to do. I was this average kid who was a very mischievous student. I remember hating going to school and having to study and having to take exams. Um, so most of the time I was this kid just like playing around and having fun. Yeah. Um, and if I wanted to hang out with my friends and, you know, maybe buy like a video game or something, I had to find the funds to do that. My parents, they wouldn't have enough. I mean, while they, they were not like destitute, they, they weren't very well off and yeah. they only gave me enough for like, um, you know, recess money at school or like, uh, and transportation money, but that was about it. Right. So if, I remember always designer to... shoes. How are you going to pay for them? 
That's a question they'd always yeah. ask me. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had to find a, a way to like raise money. And, and as a kid, I was always like lo- on the lookout for, for like m- m- a source of funds and a source of money, right? Even in school, when I was walking around as a kid, like I remember going to classes or when I was on like recess break and I'll look around um, the school, the school compound. Yeah. And like, even in the drains, right? Sometimes you'll find, uh, you know, change or like someone will drop like, you know, an actual like uh, a bill or something. And mm-hmm. that would be amazing to me, right? Um, man, that was that was the way I, I, I was like as a kid. Dude, I, and... I love it. So again, you and I are so much alike on that front. When I was in high school, so I went to high school, I grew up in Europe as a missionary kid. So we didn't have a bunch of money either. Um, if I wanted a cell phone, so cell phones had just come out, the Nokia with snake on it. Right. And, uh, right. there's, there's an annual beer fest in, in Germany where I went to high school and the town like fills up with all these like beer booths and everything around October, the, the October fest, obviously. And the next morning I would go out on my bike. It's like five o'clock in the morning and I would collect all of the beer steins that people had left like on park benches, on fountains or whatever. And I'd fill my backpack, go back home and wash them all and then go sell them to the missionary kid families who think that like an original beer stein is a, uh, is a cool thing to have. That's, that's a good souvenir from Germany. Exact same thing. It's like, I just figured it out until I was old enough to start bussing tables and do all of that. It was, it's scrappy. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so exactly. Right. It's the grind. It's the hustle. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I remember doing was like, I, so there's this game. Um, Squid Game is really popular, right? And there was this game that they were playing in the train station in Squid Game. Uh, one of the first few episodes. I think it's the yep. very first episode, right? And that, in the last. That, yep. The very right. end. Did they do that too? Yeah. Remember, he catches the guy in a subway. Like, oh, haunting right. Setting up for season two, right? So, yeah, 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 right, right. So that was what is that game called? Game, where, right? where they slap the token? I don't know. That's Korean, okay. right? But where, where I grew up, like in Singapore, um, we had a similar game, but it was like with little uh, erasers, and the erasers had like country flags on them, right? Okay, and you know people would collect them uh, because of the different countries. But we also played a game with them where we would flip the erasers and just like that game in squid mm-hmm. game if you flip your eraser and it lands on top of your opponent's eraser you want that piece right so yeah. it adds to your collection uh so everybody was like buying erasers trying to grow that collection i remember when the day when i discovered that the bookstore in my neighborhood right next to my uh my apartment mm-hmm. i i realized that the the bookstore had um country erasers as well, but they were priced lower than uh, my school's bookstore. Okay. And like, like it just clicked, right? I, I just, I'll just buy boxes of them and I'll bring them to school and I'll resell them. Uh, some will even fetch higher prices because they were like more rare countries. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, I'll just like take the profits and, you know, go treat, treat myself. And it wasn't like millions of dollars. It was just like cents sure. per box. So, and with the, with the money, I'll probably be able to buy a snack 
from the canteen and that was enough for me right so you know that was that was the kind of kid that i was um it was only at the age of about 14 or 15 that my dad um he was a salesman back then and so he bought a computer i remember it was like an intel like 386 or something it was one of those very very old computers (laughs) that ran i think it was dos or or like windows 3.11 or or right remember with the 11 floppy disks that to install operating system i remember that yeah yeah oh man so i was fascinated with the computer and whenever my dad was working and uh, whatnot I, i couldn't use it but once he stopped I was on that computer and I was like just fiddling around with it. I wasn't really like playing a game. I was just like using it and just like being like so fascinated with it. It was only after the internet came about that my, you know, my, my family finally signed up for a plan. And this was dial up, right? This was like, it wasn't even 56K. It was like slower than 56K because we yeah. couldn't afford 56K. It was like 20 something or some something like that. Uh, this was the era where like downloading an MP3 version of a song would take you like 20 minutes or something. I, I remember it was almost like one minute per megabyte, was it, or something like that, right? It was like some ridiculous yeah. number. I remember, um, I vividly remember discovering Morpheus, which is also when I discovered computer viruses, right? So, because <laughs> you're like destroying your PC every time you do it. Uh, finding an offspring album, figuring out the names of the songs and then setting it up at night because if a phone call came in, you get booted off. I got in so much trouble for that because the phone bill came and it looked like a long distance phone call for like 12 hours. And I was like, Oh wow. (laughs) So I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Uh, But I love the internet though. It it opened my world, right? My my world prior to the internet was uh the neighborhood in which I lived in. So I kind of knew the the you know the neighbors' kids and and we used to like hang out at the, sure. the playground or something. And I would know the people from school, but that was about it. Right. Mm-hmm. But once I got the internet, um I remember one of the software uh that I used a lot was this thing called MIRC. It was a chat software that pretty much was the granddaddy of Slack. And okay. with MIR with MIRC, it just allowed me to, you know, connect with all these people that were also logging on. And these were people not just from the rest of Singapore, but like from all over the world. If yeah. you maybe had an interest in like computers or in an interest in like in whatever you just you just go online and there'll be a chat room for you and you would just be able to join and, and chat with um other like like-minded people so that yeah, was like, just amazing. like reddit live yeah yeah like that all right there'll be message boards there'll be um it would be like an advertising forum or something like that there's a chat group just about you know ads or you know people wanted to wanting to resell stuff and you know everything was happening there and because i was spending so much time on MIRC, I, I looked at how I could like improve it, right? Like, you know, people's, people are always like fascinated with like modifying stuff and, and, you know, personalizing stuff. So one of the things that I really liked was downloading a 
the uh, the theme packs that okay. would you know change how MRC will look like. They will add like sound effects and you know graphics, and that was the start of how I discovered uh, my passion for you know programming, scripting, graphics design. Um, and because of the amount of time that I spent on the computer, yeah, one of my relatives he actually approached me to design his company's website for him. Cool. Right. He also didn't even scary. know whether I, I yeah, <laughs> I didn't know whether I could do it at the time. Right. And he didn't even know whether I could do it at the time. All that he knew was that, you know, his nephew was spending so much time on a computer. He must know how to design websites. Yeah. Um, and we're talking and, like HTML and JavaScript Right, like maybe even JavaScript, because it. it was before. What was the oh, Fusion? CSS? What was the the program mm-hmm. that started codifying it? Um, wow, uh, it was Macromedia, I think. Dream. There you Media, go. Was that? Yep, yep. Where it became more plug and play, kind of a Squarespace yeah. type thing, where you didn't have to know script, but yeah, yeah. Okay, the, I remember that, that. that. Yeah, that was the the. Uh, I think it was the, it was the first popular uh what you see is what you get editor i think mm-hmm. uh there were yep. a few before that but i think that was the that like was you the said thing. it was uh yeah. yeah so uh i'm sure my relative chose me because he knew that he would get a much lower price than You're like free <laughs> <laughs> not free not free i remember oh, very clearly that he paid me something because yeah. it was very important it it blew my mind because it showed me that people were willing to pay me for my services the yeah. things that I knew. Um, so because of that, I actually became a freelance web designer and I started taking on projects from actual like, you know, commercial and corporate clients and yeah. designing their websites for them. So that was kind of how I got started. Um, I did that for about a year myself. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to a polytechnic. It was a school where, you know, I... I went there alone with like my friends didn't go there with me. So I was like all alone. And I remember on the very first day of school, I sat down beside this guy during orientation and this guy, you know, we became friends. We became like, um, I, I would say we, we were, we were having such a good working relationship. Yeah. Like we did everything in school together, uh, projects, homework, assignments, and because we were working so well together, we decided to go into business together. And that guy became my co-founder. We were co-founders for like 17 years after that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, again, back to the, <laughs> it's, it's who you know and be able to dreamcast together. I love that. So tell me, what, what was the idea? You're like, okay, let's start a company. What do we build? Uh, we did whatever I was doing. We were web designers. We we did like web development work also. Uh, it was basically what I was doing because I knew it was profitable. I knew it was a lucrative thing for like, a, 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 we were 16 years old at a time. Yeah. So it was lucrative, right? It was either that or go work for, you know, a part-time job that will pay you maybe $6 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um and not even have time flexibility. Right. So and it's that was something creative. that we... Yeah. You're trading yeah. time for money. Yeah. 
And and so we love that we 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 did that, right? I roped him in, it made total sense to him, and he said yes. So for about a year or two, we were web designers, right? And we did that um until we realized that we couldn't balance school and work anymore. Like the projects and the clients and and all the demands were just way too much for us to balance. And yeah. that was when we decided to pivot the business. And we became like a specialized web hosting company okay. after that. And f- ever since then, we've been like growing and scaling and, you know, to the point where in 2017, we were the largest in Singapore. We had 150 team members. We served like 35,000 clients. Uh, and that was when we sold the business for oh, that's $30 fantastic. million. That's Okay, so what was the core service that you were offering people? So you were hosting their sites and basically maintaining the back end. So you were a server? Yep. yep. Okay. We we actually owned the servers. We had to buy servers and <laughs> manually go rack them up. Um, Which is no joke. Yeah. That's a serious investment. Yeah. Yeah. And you need people for that too, right? You need people to install it. You need people to monitor it. You need people to repair stuff if it goes mm-hmm. wrong. And so that was a big, big cost. I mean, these days you don't have that anymore. You could use AWS or like DigitalOcean or you know, any one of these like cloud providers. And that removes so much of what we used to spend time, money, effort on. Yeah. I, I see, and I may be way off on this because I'm not really in this world much yet, but I do see private servers starting to come back, especially if you host content that you need to protect from censorship or anything like that. Like it's going to come back in house for some of these uh, companies because, you know, maybe that's a topic for a different time, but (laughs) I I do see the value in there. So having the ability to do that, I'll be, you'll be the first person I call if I need to. (laughs) It's like, hey man, turn the closet (laughs) into a server farm. So... (laughs) Okay, good. So you guys scale it up. You've got 150 employees, massive valuation, and uh, and and what happened then? We decided to sell. It was it was it was supposed to be a merger. And to give you context, like the space that we were in was was white hot. We were in Singapore, which was in Southeast Asia, and it was literally the 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 hottest e- economy in that in that in that area in that yeah. region, and every single time, um, this was pre COVID also right like 2017, 2016. um, every single time there's a convention or exhibition in town, which literally was probably like once every quarter. Yeah, we would get people like just knocking on our doors, you know, wanting to talk to us, right? And these people would be either like funds. Uh, you know, private equity, venture capitalists, uh, or they will be operators of like the same or similar businesses in yeah. Europe or Japan, New Zealand or America. And they would just come speak to us, right? Because we were the largest in the market at that time. We were yeah. starting to look very attractive to people, but we've never actually found anyone that really resonated with us. Like for us, and my, my co-founder and I, you know, core values are important. Like why we do the things that we do, which essentially is our purpose or our mission. That's important to us. Yeah. The vision that we have also, that's also something that's really important to us. 
um, you know, that wasn't something that we found in the various people that approached us ever like, you know, since then, right? Um, the funds, like they only had one single goal, which was to maximize ROI. And they were very interested to, you know, it was, it was a case of like, you know, buying us out. And then after that, you know, Facing getting a three X return or, you know, 10 X return on their, on their investment. And that wasn't something that we were interested in. So when the company that acquired us came along, the, I mean, they were Dreamscape. Dreamscape is the holding company, but their operating brand is Crazy Domains. And Crazy Domains was the largest operator in Australia. Yeah. Just like us, they were, they grew from nothing and they were like, you know, they were scrappy and they were like Mm -hmm. hustlers and they grew it to be the largest in Australia. So we felt very like connected with them. It was so uncanny. We yeah. even had our offices like just next to each other. Not literally like next door, but like in the next building. So we right. could actually see them from like the windows of our office, <laughs> which was crazy. Right? Yeah. And um, you know that made us really comfortable with them. And it seemed like our vision was similar in that we wanted to expand uh, into Southeast Asia. But uh, what happened after that was that we ended up, my, my co-founder and I ended up leaving the company after one year, mm. right? That merger turned out to have way more conflicts than we, we thought, right? There was conflicts in management styles, conflicts in vision. And, you know, after a while, we realized that it wasn't working out and That's hard. we left. Yeah, it wasn't something that we we regretted though. I I think that was the choice that you know we were very very like, um, like we were comfortable that it happened. It was, it was something that I think, uh, was worth the uh risk, I guess. Yeah. And you know, that decision was something that we absolutely felt should have happened. Mm-hmm. Do you keep track of the company and how it's doing now? Yeah, yeah. I have friends and ex customers. Um, and so they, they approached me from mm-hmm. time to time and they tell me about like the problems they face or the issues that they face. Um, that, that's why actually I started that the, it's a cloud hosting company again. I, I started CLDY.com. It's uh, a cloud hosting company, except it no longer has physical infrastructure. It's now 100% on the cloud. Yeah. Um, solving the problems that, you know, all these people are still facing. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Um, I thought you were just doing the consulting and the book. Okay, well, let's talk more <laughs> about that then. What are you doing now? Tell me about this. So this started in uh, around August of this year. Okay. So it's fairly recent. Um, because of the the friends and the, cus- the ex-customers that we knew, mm-hmm. um, you know, from my previous company, um, I always felt bad. Because it was always a either a personal referral or a recommendation from me back then, and now they are stuck. And um, again, to give you context, that company, the company that we sold was Vodian. Vodian got acquired, and then the bigger group got acquired, and then I think that happened like two or three times, right? So yeah, so like now it's a completely different management, and um, when you look at Vodian right now, it's a completely different beast. I totally and back did then, that. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm out of it now. I'm, I'm business development for a software company, but I was sales for a corporate company. So a, a 
one of the giant conglomerates. Um, and, uh, and I watched that happen like multiple times, like folks that had been around for 30 something years. They're like, Oh yeah, we used to wear, you know, a Hewlett Packard shirt. And now it's Phillips or we might be bought by Siemens. And then anytime something like that happens, the whole culture changes. It's like a whole, and it, it never gets better. I've never yeah. seen anybody be, that was the best thing that ever happened to us. Like life got yeah. so much better. It's like, no, five new metrics you got to meet, 10 new managers in between you and the decision makers. And it, yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. It's a bummer. And, and, and I, I think the worst thing was, it wasn't just the, uh, the staff that felt mm-hmm. that right it was the customers as well it was the customers that were neglected it was the customers that yeah. Got, yeah got got billed for things that they didn't need they got upsold on a bunch of honestly like features that they would never use right and i, I think it just like really really uh, worsened the customer experience that was already going downhill so um that was what prompted the decision uh, I got back together with my co-founder and together we started hey. this business. It's called CLDY.com. Uh, right. stands for cloudy, right? Just because we help people get onto like the cloud and this could be any cloud, right? Like Amazon AWS is a cloud, like DigitalOcean is a cloud, Linode is a cloud, like, you know, so that's why yeah. CLDY because it's... So yeah, you're, you're a broker for- between them and what their needs are figuring out which solution works best for it. I love it. Okay. We'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too, if anybody's interested. So, and I mean, this is the space, right? The business curtain, if you're not exploring and looking for different solutions, then uh, you're stagnating. So I dig it. Um, okay. So let me take one step back before you started this in August, you took a break. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you go? Where did you spend time? And tell me why you're a professional kiteboarder now. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I, uh, I did take a snowboarding instructor license uh, yep. certificate. Uh, but I was like trying out kiteboarding before like COVID struck and I haven't really gotten the hang of it. Uh, but yeah, I went to so many places. Like I could show you the list. I didn't take down the countries. I took down the city. So like it felt like I, I mean, it must be like two pages worth. So um, cool. I remember... One of the first places that I visited was Mongolia. Mm-hmm. And this was in probably November. So it's, uh, I don't know the conversion, but it's like negative 30 degrees Celsius. That's kind of like Canadian winter. Right. Um, and it is so freaking cold. Like I didn't know what I was getting myself into. When I sold the business, I think I was feeling very lost. And I told myself to not say no to anything and just yeah. to give things a try. And one of my friends had to approach me and ask me if I wanted to do a trip. <laughs> I said yes, not knowing that it would be so freaking cold. Yeah. Um, but I again, again, I never regretted it because in that um I spent about a week in the Gobi Desert living with the Mongolian nomads. And it was a way of life that I've never seen, no experienced, right? So it yeah. was such a, I, it was an epic moment. Moment, I, I, yeah, I, I literally had no phone reception, no yeah. computer, um, nothing at all, and every day it would be the same thing. I'll wake up in the morning, 
um, at about, I can't remember when the sun rose and it was earlier, right? Like, um, it must be like seven or eight. Like, sometimes you lose track of time too, right? Because you right. don't have like clocks and stuff. So um, we will feed the livestock, which primary, primarily would be like goats and, and sheep, I think. And then uh, oh, we, we had cows that we, we fed and milked as well. Um, That's insane. Yeah, and that- this is like so far from anything you've ever done before. Exactly. And, and wow, like the nomads, they, I mean, they, because they're nomadic and all that, they, they, they didn't waste anything. And mm-hmm. where they got their food, their meals from literally were from their livestock. So they yeah. would sometimes, you know, when they, when they need meat, they will slaughter a goat or a sheep and they would, they would use every part of the animal. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not like they'll just have like a, a lamb chop and then like throw away everything else. They would they would have all the meat like processed and they would have like even the skull was boiled in like a stew. Make some killer um, pho, man. That's how you do it. <laughs> Twelve hours. Every single part of the animal, man. Even the fur and like wow, it was it was incredible. So um yeah, that was that was probably one of the more epic uh, experiences no that I got. Uh, yeah, but I, I literally traveled the world full-time for two years. Awesome. Awesome. That's like an absolute dream for us. We homeschool our kids and we're trying to get to a place where I can just work completely remotely and just pile up into an RV. You want to go at least travel America? Like we could just get up and go. We're We're not quite there yet, but we'll get there. So... Um, it's cool. And now that my youngest is five, you know, everybody can wipe their own butt. They can actually make <laughs> memories of the places that we go to. And so it's like, all right, now's, now's the time. So that's an exciting thing. Uh, world travel has always been near dear to my heart. I grew up in Europe, uh, Italy and Germany, um, visiting all of the countries in Europe. And then with the military, I traveled all over the place as well. So, um, I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So can you give me, let's actually get to, I guess the point of the show. Um, (laughs) what are, what are some things that caught you off guard when you were starting, um, your first company and now, uh, your new company? What, what are some of the, the lessons that you can impart to new entrepreneurs who are thinking about getting into business? Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, this is literally what my whole coaching is based on. The methodology that I yeah. came up with was the 5E scale engine. And that's the methodology that I use to scale up my business, right? You can see the book. Actually, I have a book here. Like this. Yep. It's right behind you. Here, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So um, it, again, if people are interested, it's it's on Amazon or like any of the major bookstores, mm-hmm. actually. So it's called um, Super Scaling. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think... One of the one like I have to tell you about how I developed the framework. It's five principles, mm-hmm. and at first it was three and then four, right? And when I had four principles, I thought I was like it was complete because it seemed like I was covering every aspect of the business already. But I felt like something was always missing, mm-hmm. and it took me a while before I discovered that what was missing was the principle about the entrepreneur, right? Who we are as people what our thought processes are like. 
because essentially who I was when I was the guy starting my business at 17 years old versus who I am right now and what I know are completely different, right? The, sometimes it's not the knowledge that you have, but like the beliefs that you have that need to change. Yeah. And this is exactly what you asked about. Like if, when I started a business, I think one of the things that helped me back as a business owner was the fact that my family instilled a very strong sense of a, a work ethic in mm-hmm. me. Um, they told me and they showed me that working hard was good. Now, as a kid, as a student, um, and as a young business owner, I think I took that a, li- a bit too literally. Mm. And it it prevented me from really being able to delegate work. Got because it. what was going through my mind, when, even when I had a team to manage, was that I felt like I should be doing the actual work myself. And I didn't want to tell other people to do work mm-hmm. or to actually delegate work to them to, to do. Uh, because I felt like it was giving away... It was, it was being lazy. It was me being irresponsible. It was me like giving away things that I should be doing myself. Yeah. And that really stopped me and my growth for a long time before. I, I think the time that it changed was when I felt so overwhelmed and so burnt out that I had to like, you know, not do that. Mm-hmm. So when I discovered that, that was another light bulb moment i think and and really helped me with the management of my company yeah um so and that's just one example of a limiting belief right that sometimes prevent us from moving forward i'm i'm experiencing that exact uh strife right now right so like i'll take an interview a connection and a relationship but i get so bogged down in metrics or building content stacking so you know like one podcast turns into 15 micro doses of stuff like that takes eight hours of my day like i'll be in here until midnight and i need to have help and so that's like right where i'm at i'm listing like okay if i were to hire somebody to do this i need help with xyz allowing me to focus on relationships and actually developing the network for for build online um fascinating lesson even in corporate america there was there was not much of that. It's like no, you're an account manager, you're sales, you do all of it, and it's like oh, and there's just so much burnout. It you lose your creative edge, you lose your ability to to do the dreaming and the. So okay, I'm with you. Sorry, I get excited yeah. about this stuff. So this is perfect. Yeah, yeah, um, no. So that that yeah. Can you walk us through the five uh, the five points just in in real brief overview? Sure, of course. Um, so the, so it's a five E skill engine because it stands for five principles and each of the principles um, start with a letter E and that's why I call yeah. it the five E skill engine. The very first principle is the principle about the entrepreneur and that's okay. why I call it Evolve. Evolve is all about your evolution mm. and how you progress and change as a person, your mindset, your thought processes and all of that. Uh, that was the key that I discovered was missing. And then once I had that, I realized that was the link between the person and the business. So the second principle is envision. Envision is now starting to talk about the business, what your vision for the business is, how your business model looks like, and more importantly, how you communicate that from, from an idea in your head. Sometimes it's not even an idea that's properly structured. Mm-hmm. How do you get that fleshed out and in a form that you can use to com- communicate with your team yeah. so that everybody 
on the same page. So what's right. my product? What's my value proposition? Who's my target audience, ideal client, messaging? Um, so the branding yeah. around all of that needs to be airtight. Okay, I'm with you. Even the vision, you know, where you're going, how you're doing it, you know, so all of that is, all matters as well. Yeah. And sometimes people don't do enough of that. Sometimes, like, to give you an example, like, imagine a coffee, uh, Starbucks, let's use Starbucks. Starbucks sure. is uh, an example that everyone knows, right? Never like, imagine if you are in a... <laughs> so imagine if you are like in a management team of Starbucks and mm -hmm. you never communicated your vision, right? And you, you hire someone. You hire maybe the, uh, uh, I don't know, chief product officer or something. Sure. And you bring some, that, that person on board. Now, if... From the outside, somebody joins you and thinks that you are a coffee shop. Uh, he is going to deliver a product or an experience that is absolutely different from what Starbucks stands for. Yeah. I, I mean, sure, Starbucks has like reserve and like, you know, I mean, they're expanding into that right now. But truly, Starbucks isn't, it isn't the place that uh, you go to for a good cup of coffee. You go to Starbucks because it's your third, I think the, the term is the third place or third home or something like that, right? Like you're, right. You have it's your a home, consistent you have your experience. Office. It's a repeatable, consistent experience. Yeah. Yeah. And you go there to get work done or to have meetings, right? At least in Singapore, that's the case as well. Yeah. Like Singapore uh, has Starbucks that are filled with people either studying or having meetings. Uh Nobody goes to Starbucks for a good cup of coffee, right? Right. Uh, so imagine if like the management team gets a chief product officer on board, and that guy thinks that you know his his role is to bring in good coffee, right? And he starts implementing like maybe single origin beans and like a fifteen minute brewing process and like quality about of coffee. Now that's gonna seriously change Starbucks, and for the for the worse, I think. It's counter uh, to what the vision is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that's just an extreme example of, of why communicating the vision is so important. Um, yeah. And, and that's all covered in the second principle. So then the third principle, that's yeah. when we cover the team. The team is, uh, and that's why the principle is called empower. And mm. this is where we talk about the team, right? How we find A players. How do we retain a players how do we grow a players how do we get everybody on the team to work together uh that's all covered in empower the awesome. fourth principle is engage engage is about the customer journey and this is where like so i have an analogy for this i my my analogy for this is the leaky bucket analogy where the bucket is your business and then the water is your, your customers sure. right yeah and the client that I serve, um, I tell them a lot that they what they don't want is to have a leaky bucket because that's what most businesses do. They concentrate on getting like more sales, more marketing done, which essentially is more and more water Build coming in. from the top, yeah. Yeah, but the bucket's leaking, right? So water's flowing out and you're just like causing yourself to burn out and you're just having like to, to, to do this more and more and again and again. Um, so what I tell my coaching clients is to focus on getting their bucket like nice and solid and not leaking. Yeah. So that even if you bring in like 
a, a lesser amount of water, at least it all stays in the bucket, right? Mm-hmm. This is the customer journey in effect. Most of the times, business owners focus on just sales and marketing. Yeah, uh, I get them to focus on the whole holistic customer experience, right? Uh, and and that essentially changes like the way they look at their business. Uh, the fifth principle is uh, execute. So execute is all about execution, the optimization, the efficiencies that you have uh, and that you need to introduce to your business. And everything, like all these principles, they are in order. So that's why the in, in the execute principle, uh, my favorite analogy is the analogy of uh, Usain Bolt. Yeah. And you know, running in a race with Usain Bolt. You just posted only this one way- on Instagram, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. So, you know, if you are in a race with Usain Bolt, man, it's hard to win the, uh, it's hard to beat the world's fastest man. But if he runs in the wrong direction, you can, right? And yeah. that's what happens if businesses, you know, do the wrong things in the wrong order or start, or start optimizing things that shouldn't be optimized. Mm-hmm. So I have a funnel that, uh, my my clients, the, the, I mean, it's in a book as well. People can follow. Um, it's a five-step process as well that get them to focus on the right things in the right order so that they can actually get the kind of efficiency and optimization that's yeah. necessary for businesses. I love that. Yeah. One of the and, things that I see companies running in the wrong direction is, um, and the market's saturated with this, like it's, it's services for B2B companies that automate and turn customers into numbers and so that you you're missing the point of actually doing your research and learning hey this would be an ideal client for me um they're just trying to maximize that uh contact and it just turns into a numbers game and it's really impersonal and people it's ruining the fabric of what relationships are especially online you just right. it's hard to trust anybody that messages you on linkedin or whatever it's like no no, no hold on you got to really go out of your way to show, I see your company. I think we would be a good fit. Can we talk? Um, here's what I think I can bring to the table, but I won't know until we actually discuss it. And that's a missing right. thing in sales and marketing, especially in the B2B world, which so you you clearly understand um, that personal touch is, is big. That's why I love yeah. podcasting, right? Because you, you and I would have never met. If, if I had messaged you like, hey, you want me to build you an yeah. app? It's like, no, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, cool. All right. So we've got the five E's through execute. Um, I think um, we've covered a lot here. So let's just have a follow-up sometime where we can get into other stuff, um, especially on the, on the marketing front. That's exciting. Um, let's round it out with a speed round. All right. I've got the, uh, the cool sound. Corny is all get out. These are questions that I ask every guest. Uh, what is one thing business people and entrepreneurs should stop wasting time on? Oh man, the leaky bucket, right? Stop focusing on sales and marketing. Just look at the business as a whole because customers, like you said, they aren't just a number, right? We want to make sure that we have the relationship with them, get uh, customer renewals in, get customer referrals in. It's a, it's a huge process that, you know, more business owners should spend time on. Yep. 
Well, that kind of answers this second question, but what's one thing you hate doing that you have to do anyway? Actually, no, that doesn't answer that. That's its own question. So what's one thing you hate yep. doing that you have to do <laughs> anyway? Mine's LinkedIn. I hate LinkedIn, but I have to do it anyway. Well, uh, we, we okay, so the funny thing is we actually covered this the last round. I remember this question because I, I actually told you that I was an uh, an introvert, right? And ah, yep. It, uh, it's a very uh it's a very strange space to be in as an introvert i mean the definition is just that you get your energy from you know being alone and and having like some me time to recharge sure and so uh it's not that i don't like meeting people i am not shy but uh given like a choice i would you know maybe spend four hours with a friend and after that i'll be like more than done and i'm very very happy like yeah. just to you know, go back to my like room or my my place and and call it a day, right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in business, it's a bit tough to do that. Uh, the whole day is typically spent with like you know meetings, and you've got to like have external meetings with. So the whole day is typically like spent with internal meetings, and then you have yeah. external meetings with like vendors or, or or partners or like you know potential collaborations and and stuff like that, right? So. Uh, that was something that, you know, I felt was uncomfortable, uh, especially as a kid, I wasn't that, I wasn't that outgoing and then I had to learn how to do that, uh, for my business and yeah, for my personal self as well, I guess. I get it. And even for an extreme extrovert like me, that's exhausting sometimes. So I can't <laughs> even imagine. So, okay, that's good. But that, that's part of, uh, you know, self-exploration or as you call it, evolution, of an entrepreneur, you yeah. have to figure those things out. And either you delegate it or you figure it out on your own. So, yeah, um, exactly. Next question: How do you take in information? Books, audiobooks, podcasts. Um, any way that I can. Honestly, mm -hmm. like, I think it's not it's not what the information is or what the medium is, but rather how you learn or how you absorb. Mm -hmm. I think that's more important. Uh, for me, I use Notion a lot. Notions like my my like brain dump yeah. uh, and I keep everything there and I start processing like all these things that I'm taking in. Right. So I feel that in this age, it's so easy to be a content consumer, uh, but it's very, very difficult to actually like take action on that. Right. I, I'm not even telling people to be content producers. I'm just saying that people should just take action on stuff that they consume start, and not start just like implementing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, right. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, watching a Netflix show, right? You get entertained. You, you'll be like, oh, that's nice, a nice piece of uh, knowledge, but nothing happens. Your life is the same before you read that content and after you read that content. So, yeah, yeah, that has to change. So I've, I've mentored and coached folks who would come and they start asking the right questions and they're after the good information and we make a plan, but then they never execute it. And I call them ask holes. Because they're always asking questions and taking in. And then two months later, we're having the exact conversation. I'm like, no. Yeah. Like, until you hit XYZ metric that we set together, please don't, don't waste my time. So I dig it. All right, man. Last question. Where's your, where's your favorite social media platform and where can people find you? I'm on all social media platforms, but my favorite has got to be Instagram. So yep. people can find me, Elvin Poe Official, on Instagram. Um, they can, they can uh, hit me up on my website as well. There's, a, there's all my social media platforms as well as a form to contact me. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Superscaling is the name of the book and the name of the website as well. Superscaling.com. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the best place to find me. Excellent. Alvin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I look forward to future conversations too. So uh, as always, um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, everybody. That wraps up this episode of Behind the Business Curtain with Alvin Poe. Thank you for listening and uh, go find Alvin. All of the links for his social are down below. Ask him questions. Share this episode with folks that you think need to hear this as well. And uh, please do go check out Super Scaling. It's on Amazon. It's on his website. And uh, it, I, think, I think you've got a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. And this was, this was great. Thank you. This episode of Behind the Business Curtain is brought to you by Build Online. Build Online is your one-stop shop for web development and mobile app design, and they're ready to bring your app idea to life. Their process starts with a one-day in-person blueprint meeting where they get clear on your goal and vision for the project, and it ends with an MVP app that's ready to launch and market. Build Online offers you access to a full team of developers and designers, along with a dedicated project manager that will own your vision for the project and give you weekly updates, so you're never in the dark. At Build Online, they don't do project-based billing or long-term contracts. You just review the completed work and pay an invoice every two weeks, avoiding the traditional money pit model that may have bitten you in the past. Book a call with me at buildonline.io and we can figure out a plan to bring your app idea to life.